All right, stand with me, please. Our series, Harvestfield, uh, will end today. We've been in it for a whole month. Uh, Pastor Gabe Bouch kicked it off at the beginning of the month. I preached the second week. Um, Corey Erickson preached uh, last week. I have a hard time saying Corey Erickson without saying pastor in front of it, so bear with me. I have to catch myself. Um, and then, and, 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 then um, and then I'll finish it out today. Follow along out loud, if you will. Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. Let's begin. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Now pray this with me. Father, thank you. You see us and you cause us to see beyond ourselves. Just as you see beyond yourself. And here we are, your sons, your daughters, your servants, workers in your field. I'm a worker in your field. Amen. All right, be seated. Matthew 9, um, what we just read, is a culmination of the preceding chapters. It's not just one town. There are many towns. Not just one village, many villages, many cities. Jesus would go from place to place to place. And every place he went, he saw the crowds. Now that word crowd refers to a number of people, a large number of people. But when he sees the crowd, he sees the infinite worth of the individual. He sees the one in the crowd. I've been a part of many crowds, and you can see thousands of people. Our recent world conference in Orlando, which brought 5,000 people from 80 nations around the world worshiping God together. It was extraordinary. We do it every three years. Next one's in Manila. Get ready. But Jesus doesn't see crowds only. He sees the individual in the crowd. All the moments we see of Jesus interacting with individuals are significant because that's his heart toward you. He sees you. He found you in a crowd. Whether you were alone or with others, he found you. He pulled you to himself. And he allowed you to see him. And in seeing him, he allowed you to see the way he sees you. And then he moves you to see beyond yourselves to see others as he does. And so I recognize that when we say go make disciples, and that is a commission, that is a charge that behavior, apart from seeing him, is not sustainable. It's a command, but it's a command without our heart. I had lunch with uh, a friend who pastors our Harrisonburg church, uh, Every Nation Church, Pastor Chris Johnson. Amazing young man. He spoke at our world conference, and in the course of our conversation, he referenced a book, and the title 
I, I, it stayed with me. It's called Outward Mindset. I've started reading it already, and I'm so encouraged by it because it speaks to what's happening in this moment. When Jesus saw the crowds, he was moved with compassion. They were like sheep without a shepherd, people who were harassed, people who were helpless, but he called them the harvest. And it's so interesting that the disciples who were with him, he said, look, the harvest is plentiful. Look, see. He had a group who was with him, and he was inviting them to see beyond themselves in order that they might recognize that the crowd was actually the harvest. When you go to work and you see people, you may see a crowd, he sees the harvest. When you're on the university campus, when you're walking the yard at Harvard, at Howard, at GW, at Georgetown, at AU, he sees the harvest. Wherever you go and you see a crowd, he sees the harvest. And I wonder at times, what is it that encourages, inspires, and instructs us to see the harvest, to see the crowds the way he does? And so there's this inward mindset that works against seeing people as he sees people. Oftentimes, instead of seeing people, we see problems, we see predicaments, we see issues, we see, oh my goodness, and we become so inward. God, look at what I'm going through. I had a morning like that. Anybody had a morning like that? That morning was this morning for me. I woke up, went downstairs to sit quiet in the, uh, in the sunroom. And I was just overwhelmed and inundated with my inward mindset. I've got a list similar to yours, but it's all the same. It's a looking inward and being overwhelmed. I was encouraged doing worship. Even as Latoya began to speak about how she stood on the beach and was in the water and began to experience um, just being overwhelmed, but then the voice of God settled her. I had a moment like that. It wasn't experiencing anxiety, but I'm just thinking, man. And what follows man is, I got a call at 3 a.m. The doorbell rang at 3 a.m. Traveled for four days. News of someone who died, heartbreaking. Text message from a man in our church saying, did you see this? No, I, yes. This issue, that issue, this issue, and how it all affects you, it makes you so inward focused that when you say go make disciples, go make a disciple, I'm just trying to stand up today. I'm just trying to make it to Metro and catch the train today. I'm just hoping the car starts. I'm just hoping the bill, they give me some more time to pay it. I'm hoping my kids would actually have a great day today. So I understand the mindset that when we hear, hey, let's go win our city, you're like, oh, God, I, I, I need to be one myself today. Anybody say, yeah, that's me. And so you look at me like, Pastor, you're talking about winning the city. I'm, I, can, can somebody just win me, please? <laughs> I need to be one today. I feel you. I'm right there with you. So it was so interesting to hear as Latoya was sharing that. I'm like, God, this is how you do. The series is planned. The worship team plans songs accordingly. But you don't know what any individual is going to say. 
So when Latoya's speaking, I'm going, man. And you go, that's God. Because at home this morning, I was in a place where I realized he wanted me to see something. So it altered the message. And I had to give them new slides. And I don't like doing that. <laughs> I, I, I like my message to be tight and right. I'm ready. I'm going to load it. They're going to get some word today. <laughs> and then you stand up and the Lord says, sit down. And you sit down and like, you need to see me and you need to see that I see you. And then you start crying. Like, why are you crying, man? You 6'4", black man. Why are you crying? <laughs> Sitting up in your sunroom crying. And you know when you get there Sunday, you're not going to be crying like, what's up? How y'all doing? I'm good. Strong? But I was crying a few hours ago. Real men cry. Grace men. We love God. Yeah. So, you know, why was I crying? For the same reason you cry. You have tear ducts, men and women. Like, if God didn't want men to cry, he would have only given women tear ducts. Just the science. Stop believing the madness. Women actually like men who cry. I don't know. I don't know. Went too far on that one, Pastor. You went too far on that one, Pastor. Pastor, I got a brother crying, and I don't want him crying like that. Yeah. <laughs> I want to read from God's word a moment that is not just about the moment but a moment about God with us in every moment so if you say well that's not my story it may not be your story but it's not about the person it's about the God who engages this person and engages you in the same way don't miss it there's an outward mindset we need to have, but we're so inundated that we tend to have an inward mindset. So that's why the workers are few, because we don't have an outward mindset. And Jesus, since we're called to be like him, he has an outward mindset. You're like, but when I have an outward mindset, I feel weary. So does he. We just sang it, man of sorrows who healed us, right? So let's look at how he moves us from an inward mindset to an outward mindset so that Seeing beyond ourselves and winning the harvest becomes not a chore or a duty, but a delight and a devotion. Here we have it. It's in Genesis chapter 16. And it's 16 verses. Say 16. 16. So don't say, why is he still reading? I told you, it's 16 verses. You already know. If you read your Bible, 16 verses is going to be good with you. If you don't read your Bible, you're going to think he's reading a lot. So you're going to tell on yourself about how you feel. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. But she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what? Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. 
I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well was called Beer Laharoi. It is still there between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar born him Ishmael. Hagar says something that resounds of her infinite worth in the eyes of God. This was a woman who felt she was unseen. But she's not alone. Sarai also felt unseen. I think there were moments where Abram probably felt unseen. I think there are moments where you, every one of you in this room, including me, feel unseen. And so this is not so much about all of us who are in the circle of being unseen and who live in a culture that compels us, even our own humanity, to act in a certain way so that we get attention by the things we say, by the way we dress, by the way we carry ourselves. Some of us for sure don't want to be seen, but even us who don't want to be seen need to be seen by God. And he's at the center seeing the crowd, whether it's the crowd that's all together in one moment or whether it's 7 billion people on the planet that he can in any given moment say, I see you. The most important thing in this moment is Hagar who has run away and now has an encounter where God shows up and says her name, Hagar. Almost what happens next is is a great read, but the fact that he found her on the run, and he says, Hagar, and she stops like, you know my name? I want you to know, God knows your name. God knows your name. This is a woman who is feeling unseen, feeling mistreated, feeling unloved, feeling overlooked. But God comes up in that moment and says, Hagar, I believe if he said nothing else, just a mention of her name would be enough to turn her heart away from all that was so inward focused, so inward mindset to realize the God of the universe has found me and has called me by my name. He sees you and he knows your name. 
and he calls your name. Even when no one else who you desire to call your name, he calls you. When you want that boy to call you and the phone doesn't ring or the text message over the wrong number, he knows your name. When all your girlfriends get married and you've worn out every wedding dress and you still ain't got married, he knows your name. When somebody else gets promoted and somebody else gets promoted and you train them and you get laid off, he knows your name. When your husband, when your wife, when your children, whatever you're going through, he knows your name and he sees you. And the moment you become aware that he sees you, even though nothing else has changed, as Pastor Rich says, your perspective changes. Because when anybody else sees me, no matter the way in which they see me, whether they see me through eyes that are envious or jealous or hatred or compassionate or loving, it doesn't compare with being seen by him. That makes the need to be seen by others less significant because the one who is most significant sees me. Whether you're on the beach walking in the water, whether you actually didn't plan to be here this morning, but God got you here anyway. Whether you're at the brink of suicide because you feel, what's my, what, my, what's my life worth? He sees you. He brought you here. Not just to a hotel, but to his presence. And whether you come back to this hotel or not, he's going to bring you somehow into his presence. You know what she says? You're the guy that sees me. This moment is so significant. Sarai didn't feel like she was seen. Now, let's break this down. You got drama here. Like, you know, young and restless as the world turns, general hospital, all my days, bold, beautiful, and... Bold and what? I, I know what it is. I just want to see who was watching. <laughs> you know it. You, you don't even have to watch soap operas. All you do is read the Bible. Just read it slow. It's got more drama. You know, if, there's no lack of, of drama in the Bible. We have to do this quickly. Just because the clock says so. Abram and Sarah love God, love one another. They have faith. God told them, I'm going to make you a great nation. Not just a great family, great nation. King's going to come from you. Man, God be pumping you up. <laughs> calling you Abram, which means father. Then calling you Abraham, which means father of a multitude. And you ain't even got a kid. That's our God. And we look at it like, how are you going to call me father multitude? How are you going to call me father when I don't have any children? He's like, you don't understand what it means to be a father. Being a father doesn't mean you have offspring. Being a father means you've inherited my heart. There are men who have offspring and they're not fathers. They're just progenitors. And there are men who don't have offspring and they are fathers. Don't believe the lie. But he's wrestling with this. He's actually crying out to God. Do you see me? There's a movie we used to watch with our kids. I, I think it's called The Gospel of Love. This guy, uh, uh, Boris Kojo, plays in it. He's the star. And at the end of the movie, he's like, do you hear me? Do you hear me? He's a prodigal son. He's like, do you hear me? He's yelling like, God's like, do you hear me? Why are you yelling? I've been talking to you your whole life. You've not been listening. 
You're going to go, God, do you see me? Do you hear me? He's like, oh, now you're coming to me. I've been calling you. I was calling you when you were at the club. You didn't listen. I was calling you when you were. Somebody be honest. You know God's been calling you your whole life. But here's the moment. Abraham's like, do you hear me, God? Do you see me? Yes, I see you. The Lord appeared to him. And the appearance is God seeing him and him seeing God and making things right with him. But they've been living 10 years in this land. And because of the 10 years they lived there, and because God said you're going to have a family, Sarai basically says, God has kept me from having children. That's rough when God's made a promise to you and it doesn't happen in the time you expect. So then you begin to question God and question yourself. So she comes up with a human idea, not a God idea. Go sleep with my slave. Now that is her idea and Abraham agreed to it. That's drama right there. God did not direct them to do that. Just, it, this was something that was practiced in the culture that they came out of. But sometimes when you come out of a culture and you hit a, huff, a hard spot, even though you came out of something, that something might still be in you. And that's the way they would build families. They would take maidservants and say, I can't have kids, so I'm going to have more kids through you. Because the honor of having children was the highest thing in, in the society. And to not have children was the highest shame. So she felt shame because she couldn't have children. So he said, here, take this Egyptian woman. But she's from Egypt. She didn't grow up in the culture. So she don't know exactly how it worked. You know when you, you're from Trinidad and you bring somebody to you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah sorry. <laughs> I knew Trinidad was close. I felt it. I didn't even know that. You're from Trinidad, Tobago. Yeah, my wago. You know. So you... You're from, you're from, <laughs> you're from a place and you take somebody back home with you, but they don't know the customs, so they're trying to go along, but they don't fit in, right? You're from Austria, right? This is how we dance. We dance at the Sheldon's home on New Year's Eve, and I was like, I'm going to learn how to do this, right? Because all I know is this, so I was like, I got to, <laughs> and Christopher can do both. He knows how to do this and this. His whole family, we danced with them. And it was like the Austrian music. And we were like, wow, it's Dance with Marianne. It's like, I just did not learn how to dance like this where I grew up. We didn't dance like that on my block. We were spinning on our back. A kid from the 80s. No, I'm not going to do it. Marianne's not in the room. She'd be looking at me like, what are you? So she gets pregnant. She's felt unseen, but she's pregnant now. She's showing. Everybody see me now. And she knows she's going to have to give the baby up. But she looks at Sarah, and there's a way of looking at Sarah. I'm calling her Sarah. Sarai becomes Sarah. And she looks at her a certain way, and her eyes. You know that thing, ladies, when you walk in a room and you see another woman, y'all look, and guys only know what's going on before you know, like, what happened? What happened? What happened? What happened? <laughs> I saw the way she looked at me. What? We miss everything. We were like, we were, we were playing cornhole. <laughs> when did all this go down? Y'all weren't even on the same side of the room. I saw her from all the way across the room. I can't even do it. It's not even in me. I don't have the equipment. <laughs> I, I got four girls, man. You know, I got... They all talk at the same time and expect me to hear them all at the same time. I'm like, dudes take turns. We don't, we don't do this. Christopher's laughing with me. How many girls you got? Four girls. Yeah, you know, you know exactly what I'm talking about. 
I love my girls. So Sarai goes back to her husband and like, may the wrong done to me be on your head. Now, if I'm Abraham, I'm like, come on. It was your idea. <laughs> Why are you mad at me? It was your idea. I bet they were in a tent. You could see the silhouette if the lantern was on. <laughs> Everybody in the camp, like, they going for it. I don't know what they're talking about, but Sarah raising up. My idea, the first idea you didn't resist, you know it wasn't like that. Wasn't like that. I don't even see her like that. Golly. You the one talking about 10 years. God kept me from having no babies. So you said, hey, go down. And I'm like, are you sure? You only asked me one time, though. Yeah, but you just tell me what you mean. If you mean yes, say yes. You mean no. Don't make me ask the question. Guys always get lost. What do you want me to do? What do you think you should do? Oh, that's a trap. It's a trap. It's a trap. Trap. Men, go pray to God. Go ask God. Call another brother. What do I do? She asked me, should I go or should I stay? Stay. Don't go. Stay. It's a trick. Don't go. How you know? Because I went, and I am telling you. Don't go. Don't go. She's on bed rest. Stay. Don't you go. But she seemed like she okay. She okay now, but she's not going to be okay when you get back. You're going to come back. She's going to be waiting for you at the door. How dare you go? You said, do what I thought best. And that's what you thought best? Huh? I'm not your best. That was best. I got 28 years. I've learned a few things. I've learned a few things. I don't know a lot, but I've learned a few things. Just two or three things. You young brothers getting married, you're 28. I'm in love. I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you stay in love. I'm going to help you stay in love. Multiple choice, A, B, or C, and the answer's not even on the test. You don't even know. You don't even know. You don't even know. Write that down, you newly married guys. She gives you A, B, or C, go, it's probably D. So you go like, oh, my man knows something. My man knows something. And then you call the brother who helped you and thank you. He saved you a year. Abraham says, look, she's your servant. Don't bring this to me. Do whatever you want. So she starts mistreating her out of her own pain. Both these ladies are hurting. Abraham's hurting too. He's trying to, how do I, golly. So she runs away because of the mistreatment from Sarai. Anybody know what I'm saying? You running away from something, they treat you on your job, da, 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 da. You don't even know that God sees you. And she gets out there and God goes, Hagar. She can't believe she's hearing her name while she's on the run. Hagar. Yes. Where are you coming from, girl? Where are you going? I, I'm, I'm running away from Sarai because I'm, pre you know, she, I'm mad. Da, da, da. He says, Hagar, let me tell you something. Go back to Sarai. Go back and submit to her. But, but, go back and submit to her. I see you. She don't see me. I see you. But Abraham, it was the, I didn't even, I see you. 
Go back and submit to her. I see you. And she starts weeping. That child in you is going to have too many descendants to count. It's the word washing over her. And she realizes in that moment, you're the God who sees me. Even when no one else does, you actually see me. When you see the crowds, you lock eyes with one and go, Christopher, I see you. Sydney, I see you. Warren, I see you. AJ, I see you. Gabriella, I see you. Matthew, I see you. LJ, I see you. Ted, I see you. Natalie, I see you. And there's something about seeing God see you. In that moment, you realize God is not just into himself. He actually sees beyond himself, which is how he sees each of us. And once you've been seen by God, you become like that woman at the well. She drops her water pot and she runs into the town. She says, come see a man who saw me. All y'all know I have five husbands. All y'all know the man I'm living with, I'm shacking up, cohabitating. He knows it too. And he saw me without judgment. I've never been looked at like that. That's why I come to the well by myself because of the way all these women looking at me, talking about me. But they don't know that I was abused when I was five years old. All they know is that I had five husbands. It's hard for me to trust a man. But he told me everything I ever did. And he spoke the truth about me in love. He's the God who sees me. And now that I've been seen by him, I can actually see beyond myself. I can see beyond my pain. I can see beyond my frustration. I can see beyond my fear. I can see beyond my hurts. I can see beyond the molestation. I can see beyond the alcoholic parent I had. I can see beyond. I see the crowd. They're the harvest. And I want them to see you so they can see you seeing them. The way you see me. When we say go make disciples, the behavior will never be sustainable until the mindset shifts where you realize he sees me. He saw me this morning in my sunroom crying, thinking, I got to go preach today. And I've just been overwhelmed with so much stuff. And he says, don't be so inward in your mindset. It just makes you sensitized to where other people are. Now go win somebody. Lord, I thank you. There's someone here today who has not believed that God really sees them. And you don't even have a relationship with him. And he's been looking at you, seeing you your whole life. But you've been convinced of a lie. God doesn't see me. And the reason why you think God doesn't see me is because in the way you're wired, in the things that happen in your life, you reject before you can be rejected. So you actually don't jump in the middle of it all and you 
you think people are avoiding you, but you don't realize you're withdrawing yourself. But God sees you. And you realize right now he sees you. And today you're going to begin a relationship with him. And it won't matter to you most who else sees you. It'll matter to you most that he sees you. And you're like, you're like Hagar. He's the God who sees me. And then there are those who already have a relationship with him. But you needed to know in a fresh way, he really does see me. No one in this room may know the details of your life. But can I tell you, all the details you know of your life aren't all the details of your life. That there are details of your life that God knows that you don't know. You're only familiar with a percentage of the details of your life. How do I know that? Because he says the very hairs on your head are numbered. And since you don't know which hair is one and which hair is 15, then you don't have all the details of your life down. So there's nothing going on in your life that he doesn't see. So whether the first or the second refers to you, I want to encourage you to stand as an act of your surrender to the God who sees you. If you're saying, Lord, today I see you see me and you're beginning a relationship with him or you already have a relationship, but you just needed to know that he sees you so that you can begin to see beyond yourself, stand on your feet so we can pray together. Lord, I thank you for the men and women rising to their feet in this place and who are saying, I now see that you're the God who sees me. Some of you just talk to him and say, Lord, today I give you my life. I give it to you. Be my Lord. Forgive me of my sins. Make me your son or daughter. Pray that. He sees and hears you. Others, you're already a son and daughter, but you've been living without an acute awareness of the God who sees you. Let's pray this together. Lord Jesus, you're the God who sees me. And now that you see me, I can see beyond myself. Thank you for seeing me, cherishing me, loving me, and moving me to see beyond myself. Amen.